So I just want to share this morning, and you know, a few weeks ago, we were watching the Olympics, it was quite a few weeks ago now, and then we were watching the Paralympics, and Zach's been really into both of those things, because I think at school they talk about it a lot, and they um, teach on it, and all that kind of thing, and when we got to the Paralympics, it was really interesting, Zach would watch the different athletes, and he'd try and spot their disability, you know, if they were missing a leg, or an arm, or a limb, or whatever it was, And when we were watching, you know, it was actually incredibly inspiring to see these people who have gone through so much challenges and difficulty in life to overcome, to push through that pain barrier and achieve sporting greatness. And I love the focus of the Paralympics. It's not about their disability, it's about their ability. It's not about what's wrong with their life. It's about, you know, the good, the positive, what they can do in life. And, you know, that along with some other material that I've been looking at just got me thinking about the difficulties that we all face in life and how we can overcome despite what cards we might get dealt with in this game called life. One of the most inspiring and famous hymns was written out of an awful hand of cards that got dealt to Horatio Spafford, and many of you will know the story. I'm just going to share it with you. Horatio Spafford was a wealthy Chicago lawyer with a thriving legal practice, a beautiful home, a wife, um, four daughters and a young son. And he was also a devout Christian and a faithful student of the scriptures. He was a good man. At the very height of his financial and professional success, Horatio and his wife Anna suffered the tragic loss of their young son. Shortly after, on October 1871, the Great Chicago Fire destroyed almost every real estate property that Spafford owned. In 1873, Spafford scheduled a boat trip to Europe in order to give his wife and daughters a much-needed vacation and time to recover from the tragedy. Spafford himself stayed back because of some last-minute unexpected business. But several days later, he received notice that his family's ship had encountered a collision. All four of his daughters drowned. Only his wife had survived. With a heavy heart, Spafford boarded the boat that would take him to his grieving Anna in England. It was on this trip that he penned those now famous words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. They say that it was when he was passing over the very spot that that ship would have collided and his daughters would have drowned that he penned that famous hymn. And for more than a century, the tragic story of one man has given hope to countless thousands who have lifted their voices to sing, It is well with my soul. This morning, I want to look at how Horatio Spafford, in the midst of unbelievable pain and tragedy, could say, It is well with my soul. How Job in the Bible, after he lost his, all his material possessions, his wealth, and all his children, could say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How people with terminal illness and sickness can still find a way to say it is well. And how we, in the midst of our circumstances and lives, no matter how bleak or how blessed, can also learn to say, it is well with my soul. Let's just pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you've brought us here together this morning, and I thank you that you love and care for your people so deeply. I pray that you'd give us a revelation of that this morning. I pray that you would draw us nearer to you, and that you would speak to every single one of us in some way, in your name. Amen. Would you turn with me to 3 John? 3 John, this is just a small book. 
There's no chapters. It's the third epistle of John, and it's a letter to a man called Gaius. And John is trying to sort out some problems in the church, and so he writes to Gaius. And in verse 2, in his greeting, he says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. And in the New Living Translation, we can read it, I pray that you be in good health and that all goes well with you, even as, even as, no, that's not right. Am I miss Ah, oh, dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. So John's writing to Gaius and he's saying, hey, I pray it goes well with you, that you're going to be healthy even as it is well with your soul. And commentaries tell us that this phrase, even as your soul is getting along well, is referring to Gaius's inner person. It's his spiritual condition. He was making great spiritual progress. His, his spirit was well. And the word soul in this verse comes from a word suki, and that's where we get psychology from. And the meaning of that word is that the soul is separate from the body. So we've got the body and we've got the soul. It's the inner self. It's um, the center or the seat of our affections, will, emotion, mind, reason, and understanding. And sometimes Bible writers or others distinguish between the soul and the spirit as well. But in this context, for this verse, it's talking about both. So we're talking about the inner self, the real me, the essence of who we are, and the eternal part of us. There's an inference in this verse that Gaius might not have been well physically. You know, the verse says, I pray that you may enjoy good health. He may not have it. The Bible's not clear. But what we do know is even if he was sick in his soul, it was well. There can be wrong in the world, but well with our soul. It can be, we can be financially sunk, but it can still be well with our soul. We can have our hearts broken and our families torn apart, but still find it is well with our soul. We can be riddled in our body with sickness and pain, but still have a soul that can say it is well. It doesn't mean that we are always happy with life. We still feel pain and guilt and anger and sorrow and hurt and other emotions. It may not mean we have a smile on our face all the time or that we have the energy to go out and change the world, but it does mean that inside, in my soul, it is well. The world's answers to satisfying the soul are things like relationships and spending money and, um, you know, filling our lives with so much stuff that we don't have to look on the inside. Running away, escaping maybe through holidays and vacations, um, finding purpose in relationships, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, all these kinds of things the world might turn to to find that peace inside. But I want to suggest to you there's another way that we can find peace and wellness in our souls. And before I look at this, I, I do want to say that in my life to date, I haven't experienced massive tragedy or trials. Um, so this message is not from huge personal experience, but I do feel that it's a word that God gave me that he wants to share with you this morning. And you know, even when things are pretty okay, we all face difficulty, we all face stress, we all face financial problems and relationship challenges, and these things are real, and it can be hard to have a soul that says it as well, no matter what's going on in our lives. If we can learn to say it as well with my soul, then we can show the world what it means to shine Jesus in the good and the bad in any and every circumstance and situation. And that's what the world wants to see. They want to see a people that have something to hold on to that can get them through life no matter what. You know, it's pretty radical. 
it's pretty out there to live a life that can say it is well with my soul. It's certainly not what the world would suggest when disasters come our way because our nature tends to be reactive. You know, we want to retaliate when hurt. We want to blame when beaten. We want to curse when cursed or become bitter when treated unfairly. But unfortunately, life is full of that stuff. Life is not fair. It's not always easy and it's not always nice. And so through it all, God in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not let the righteous be shaken. And Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And he doesn't say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, when things are going good, does he? He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, full stop, in all circumstances. You know, I look at my life and the different things that I face daily, and I ask myself the question, Can I say it is well with my soul? And I don't know if I like the answer all the time. The other day, um, Sam was overseas, and so I was with the kids on my own, and they were keeping me up a little bit at night, and Emma decided that it was a great idea to wake up just after six every single morning, although as soon as Sam got back, she was back to 6.30 or after. I don't know why. But anyway, so this particular morning, she was up just after six, and um, I'd been up once or twice, and then I woke up to not one wet bed, but two wet beds, and I was grumpy, and I was tired and I was frustrated and annoyed and it was not well with my soul at all. (laughs) But seriously, that's not what this message is about. It's not about when someone asks you, how are you, that you turn around and can say, it is well with my soul. You know, (laughs) that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about this morning is that when you do get asked, how are you, maybe you can say, you know what, I'm actually going through a really tough time. But through it all, I found God is so much nearer and I know him in a way I haven't known before that, you know, if you've run out of finances, you might say, look, honestly, my financial situation's terrible and I'm living day to day. But through that, God has never let me down yet. I have food on the table every night and he's providing for me. You know, that's the kind of thing we're talking about, that in the midst of life, we can find God in a way that can reflect and say, it is well with my soul. So it's a great concept, right? But how do we get there? And that's a good question. You know, I often say, and I've heard other people say, how do people get through life and difficulty and tragedy when they don't have a God to hold on to? And I still wonder that question. How do people get through loss and pain and hurt and grief without having a trust in God, without being able to call out to Him, without knowing that there's someone bigger than us who's watching over us, who's, who's guiding us, who's leading us? And, you know, faith and trust are, I think, the greatest key to having a soul that is well. Faith and trust in God. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And if you were here last Sunday night, the youth gave a fantastic presentation on faith and um, on stepping out into the unknown. And I heard one preacher say, It's giving God the benefit of the doubt. And I really like that thought. You know, through, though the outcomes are not certain, even though our past experience might not point to a breakthrough, we still give God the benefit of the doubt. It's a belief that God can do anything, that he will come through. 
You know, um, my kids have that kind of faith. When they pray, they absolutely expect that God will answer their prayer. If we've lost something and they pray and ask God that we'll find it, they expect to find it. If we pray for a car park, they're surprised if we don't get one. If we pray, if they pray um, for me to feel better, then, you know, the expectation is that I'm going to feel better straight away. Actually, they're really cute in their prayers. Zach's got this healing prayer that's a combination of Dad and Sam, and it goes something like this. Um, Dear Lord Jesus, I pray for mum's sore tummy. In the name of Jesus, I pray that she'd be better by your stripes. She is well, and by the power of my spirit, heal her stomach in Jesus' name. It's awesome, and he lays his hand on me. It's probably better than my prayers. And then Emma's one is a little bit more waffly. Hers is like, Dear Lord Jesus, pray for mummy's sore tummy. Pray that she have a good dinner, and that there'd be a present for me and a lolly. Amen. But the point is that they have that childlike faith. You know, they expect God will come through. And that's the kind of faith God wants us to come to, that childlike faith. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's three friends and these three brave lads were faced with the ultimatum, bow down and worship the image of gold or be thrown into the fiery furnace. And we can read their answer to the king in Daniel 3, verse 17 and 18. It's such a great answer. They say to the king, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. And, you know, I so love that because so often we have faith if things go our way. We have faith if we get the answers we want. But what happens when we don't get the answers we want? That's when we need to have the faith of these three guys. Or the faith of Job where it says in Job 13 verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It's a radical faith and trust and acceptance that even if God doesn't heal, provide, and restore, that we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt and we're going to trust him anyway. Smith Wigglesworth says, Great faith is a product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. Great triumphs can only come after great trials. And there's another quote that says, Yesterday's tragedy can be the gateway to our victory. Just have a drink of water before I read you a story. There's a story of a um, mother of two boys who was a recent widow, and her husband had been a godly man. He was admired by everyone, and he died and left behind a loving wife and two sons, but he also left behind a mountain of debt and no life insurance. And this woman, she had no real way of working. Her sons were still young, so she found herself bankrupt overnight. She had debts she simply couldn't pay, and where she lived, debtors weren't treated so well. Cash was tight for everyone, and there was no mercy. The widow was staring down the possibility of her two sons being sold into slavery, and um, in her culture, that kind of thing happened all the time. She cried until there were no more tears left to cry, and she was at the end of herself, desperate and doomed. She had one last idea— She went to visit the preacher. After all, her husband had worked in this man's ministry and they'd had a good relationship. Maybe he would feel some loyalty to her and find some financial help for them. I'm at my wit's end, she told the preacher. We've already lost everything and my boys are all I have now. But they'll be gone in the house too if I don't come up with some money fast. My boys will die in slavery without my ever seeing them again and I'll be in the gutter begging for coins or worse. You know how my husband loved and served the Lord. The two of you ministered shoulder to shoulder. Surely God won't look away from us now or you. 
The preacher reached over and gently wiped away a few of the woman's tears. I'm so sorry for what you're going through, he said. What have you got left? She looked at him, puzzled, and um, wondered, was he actually demanding some kind of payment? I told you, I've got nothing left. It's all gone. And she started crying all over again. Nothing but walls and floor, the preacher asked. I sold it all. Empty rooms filled with memories and nothing else. I think there's one little flask with oil on the shelf, and that's it. Useless. The preacher, whose name happened to be Elisha, told her to go door to door, asking her neighbors to lend her any empty jars they could spare. Then he said, place the jars on the floor and close up the room and get the olive oil and begin pouring. How could that possibly help, asked the widow. Have faith, said the preacher, and smiled. Some hours later, the room was filled with jars, and the jars were filled with oil, and the boys were laughing as they ran from jar to jar, and the little flask just kept giving and giving. Then the last drop fell at the rim of the last jar, and the three of them began hugging, crying, and jumping all over again. When you sell the oil, Elisha told her, I think you'll find your debt's paid, and there's just enough left to live on. Of course, he was right. That story is found in 2 Kings 4, and although I'd love to tell you I wrote that myself, I'm not that smart. <laughs> I read it in a book, but isn't it a great picture of that story? And many of us feel like that widow, desperate and in despair. See, life has a way of pouring us out, can take away a job, can take away a home, can take away a loved one, it can take away our health and our hope. And we can feel completely empty, but we serve a God who loves to fill empty things, amen. And you better believe he's going to fill each one of us up to the brim. I think God wants to leave us astounded. You know, that word that came a couple of months ago, and we've heard so many testimonies from it, that God will leave us astounded is for you and it's for me. It's for each one of us in our situations. We can cry out to God and expect him to astound us. Does he give us the answers we ask for? Not always. But we can be certain he hears our prayers, he sees our struggles, he intervenes on our behalf, and he can astound us in ways that we've never imagined. You know, two of my friends have um, walked a long, hard journey. Lots, Lots of people have, but these two friends of mine, they've literally been through hell. And I have seen them walk the difficult journey of life over the last couple of years, but they've found a wellness in their soul. Somehow, someway, with God, they've found wellness in their soul. And we can find that too. Faith and trust will take us to a place where it is well with our soul. Let's go back to Horatio Spafford for a moment. You know, this guy, he's lost so much. His wealth, his material possessions, his son and his four daughters. But in the midst of that, we see a heart that just wants to praise and thank God for what he's done for him. Listen to verse 2 and 3 of that hymn, It Is Well. It says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss, bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord on my soul. Spafford is so thankful that Christ shed his blood for his soul. He's so thankful that his sin, all of it, is nailed to the cross. And and for him, it's a glorious thought. And it causes him to praise and thank God, thank his maker, even in incredible darkness. Thankfulness is a key to being well with our soul. 2 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
Many years ago, 40 plus years ago, when mum was nursing, she was really touched by a patient that we'll call Tom. Tom was in the final stages of cancer and he looked like skin and bone. He was in a lot of pain and very nauseous most of the time. To add to this, one day Tom was accidentally dropped and his hip was broken, but there was really nothing they could do to fix it. He just had to live with that extra pain. Despite all this, he was pleasant and cheerful and everybody liked him. One day mum went in and she asked him how he was and he answered, the outer man is perishing but the inner man is growing stronger day by day. He was quoting 2 Corinthians 4.16. What a wonderful attitude. You know, with so much bad stuff going on, he was still thankful and positive and cheerful. When we can find reason to be thankful, when we can see the glass half full and not half empty, it's much easier to be well with our soul. Of course, it's not easy. Nothing that God says really is easy. God is the God of the great reversal, you know. Most of what he says is, is against our natural inclination. It's counterculture. But, you know, it works. Um, when we look at the positive, it makes us feel thankful. When we feel thankful, we feel more satisfied and more happy. You know, it, it just works. And I love the testimony and the story of Joni Erickson Tata. There's going to be a photo of her. Many of you might have um, heard her story. This lady is incredible. She was 18. She was a beautiful, active teenager. And in a um, tragic diving accident, she became a quadriplegic from the shoulders down. And um, it was a very long, hard journey for her. It still is. And just recently, she's actually been through cancer as well. So she's had to go through chemotherapy and lose her hair and all of those different things. And I was listening to her testimony the other day, and she said these incredible words. She said, thank you, Jesus. I so wanted you to change my situation. I so wanted you to fix my problems. I so wanted you to heal me from my paralysis and remove all the suffering, but you were so wise. Because a no answer from you to my request for healing and freedom from this body has meant yes. Yes to so many wonderful things in my life. A no answer has purged so much sin from my life, exposed my heart to so many things I didn't even know were hidden. I'm so grateful. Your no answer to my request has given me a deeper empathy for others, increased my grace, stretched my hope for heaven, pushed me deeper into your word. It has put complaining behind me. It's given me a lively, buoyant life of prayer. And most of all, it has drawn me so, so much closer to you. (laughs) What amazing words. You know, she truly must be one of the most godly women on the planet earth. But you know, that's an incredible attitude that she has that through all this pain and darkness and, you know, really very, very hard life, she has found God. She has found a way to say, thank you, God. She's found a way to say, it is well with my soul. Praise God, most of us won't ever have to go through what Horatio Spafford or Tom or Joni Erickson have gone through, but we'll all be going through our own battles right now. And if we can find a heart of thanksgiving for what we still have, if we can see the glass half full and not half empty, if we can praise God through our trials, we'll find it is well with our soul. Two more keys real quick to finish. To be well with our soul, we need others. 
We need friends and family to journey through life with us together, through the tough times and to share the joy of the good times. No one can do life alone, and if we try, it's an incredibly long, hard, lonely journey. We're not made to do it alone. Jesus didn't spend his time on earth alone. He spent his time, sometime alone with his father, um, praying and spending time with God. And then he spent it with his 12 disciples, and then he spent it with others, anyone and everyone. And that's our model too. We need to spend time with God. We need to spend time with family and friends, and then we need to spend time with others. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the man who has no one to help him up. And Proverbs 17, 7, a friend loves at all times. You know, I've been blessed with wonderful friends and and a wonderful family, and they've helped me through so many different seasons of my life, and I couldn't do it without them. They've stood with me, they've cried with me, they've laughed with me, they've prayed with me, and they've been there for me. And you know, right here at Church Unlimited, we are a family, and I guarantee there's people sitting around you that would stand with you, that would walk with you, that would do life with you. There's a lot of love inside of these four walls. And you might need to join a life group. We've got the sign-up sheets out there today. You know, life groups are the best place for finding a family, finding a bunch of people to walk life with, to do life. That's why they're called life groups. It's about journeying together. And, or you may need to join a ministry, you know, be a volunteer and be a part of a group. But sometimes we just have to let people in because those people are here willing to walk with us. Sometimes we need professional or medical help, and that's okay. That's why God has placed those people in our lives as well. That's why we have doctors and hospitals. Sometimes we just need a brother or a sister in Christ to stand with us in prayer. But whatever the case, to be well with our soul, healthy on the inside, we need people with us. We need people to journey together with. And in turn, as we find strength inside, as we find wellness in our soul, then we can help others with what they're going through as well. Because the thing I love about God is that nothing we go through, nothing we've been through is wasted in God. He can use any and every experience. And what we've been through can help others who are going through the same or similar situations. Hudson Taylor, that great missionary to China, said, It doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it, become, whether it comes between you or God or whether it presses you nearer his heart. The Lord comforts us in all our trouble, and we can comfort others with the comfort that we receive from him. <clears throat> Whatever we're facing right now, we can be sure of the fact that God cares, that God comforts, but he's also placed people around us to help us through and others that we can help as well. That inflow and that outflow is going to help us have a soul that is well. Finally this morning, the last key in saying it is well with our soul is to focus our lives on the end goal. If we've asked Jesus into our hearts, then we're saved and we know that we can look forward to a wonderful eternity with him. For many of us, that's a great hope, you know, that this body will perish, but our soul, our spirit will live on and we can have eternity with Jesus. And there's so much more purpose in life when we have that in mind. There's so much more purpose for each of us. And there's a beautiful verse in Revelation 21 verse 4. It says, he'll wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. In heaven, there's no more difficulty there's no more sorrow. Those things are gone. And it's what we're made for. It's what we're destined for. Turn with me 
for one final story in Luke 16, verse 19 to 31. I'm going to read it out to you. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus who was covered in sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades or hell where he was tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted and here you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg of you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they too will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. In this story, we see a man, the rich man, who has everything he could want in this life. He lives in complete, extreme luxury. He had more than, any, more than enough, and yet he didn't care for the beggar Lazarus who laid at his gate. He didn't comfort him. He didn't have compassion for him. He enjoyed his life, and all was well. He had no need for God, and he never formed a relationship with him. Lazarus, on the other hand, had nothing. He had a horrible life, full of pain and sickness and emptiness and, and um, just a bad life all, all around, really. But somewhere in that life, he found God. And even though this life on earth was nothing good, when he died, he had a glorious eternity in heaven. Not so for the rich man. Even though it was well on the outside, it wasn't well in his soul. And unfortunately, he ended up in hell. See, ultimately, it doesn't really matter what we have or what we don't have, what we go through or what we don't go through. What really matters is what happens after we cross the line and go into eternity. Mark 8, 36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? If we can focus on the life to come, then despite what we go through, then we know our eternity, is, our eternity is secure. And then when we, when we do cross that line, that we're going to spend the rest of our lives with Jesus. And it's a wonderful thing to focus on. It can be a wonderful thing to um, remember and just comfort ourselves with in the midst of pain and tragedy. And eternal focus helps us say it is well with our soul. You know, God wants each of us to have a great life, a joyful life, a a life full of abundance and blessing. I started off with John, and he says in that verse, I pray all goes well with you, all goes well with you. But first and foremost, it needs to be well with our soul. And no matter what kind of life we have, we all have a decision to make. Are we going to choose to have faith? Are we going to choose to thank God despite our circumstances? Are we going to choose to have others around us? Are we going to choose to have a focus on eternity? If the musos could come, that'd be great. You know, God's ultimate concern for our, is for our souls, not our circumstances or our situation. He absolutely cares for what we're going through. But more than that, he wants our souls. He wants us to know him. You know, Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and mercy. He really cares 
But more than our health, more than our finances, more than our happiness, he wants our souls to be well. He wants us to know him, to trust him, to thank him, to receive comfort from him, and to live for him. This morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what circumstances and situations you're facing. I don't know the pain that you might be in. But I do know that God is here, that God wants to comfort, that God wants to come in and, and just give you a fresh hope, a fresh sense of thankfulness, a fresh sense of faith, a fresh sense of those that are around you to help you, and a fresh sense of the eternity that waits for you. This morning, I've asked the team just to sing a couple of verses from that hymn, It Is Well. And as they sing, I just want you to just spend some time with God. Why don't you let his love wash over you? Why don't you cry out to him and ask him to give you that wellness in your soul? Because that's what's going to get us through. That's what makes all the difference. You know, it's for our good that God wants us to be well with our soul. It makes our life better but it also gives us a greater relationship with him. So why don't you just listen as they sing?